ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. If you've ever dreamed of quitting your job to take your side hustle full time, listen up. This is Nikayla Matthews Akome, host of Side Hustle Pro, a podcast that helps you build and grow from passion project to profitable business. Every week, you'll hear from guests just like you who wanted to start a business on the side. If you can't run a side hustle, you can't run a business. They share real tips. And so I started connecting with all these people on LinkedIn, and I saw Target Supplier Diversity was having office hours. Real advice. Procrastination is the easiest form of resistance. And the actual strategies they use to turn their side hustle into their main hustle. Getting back in touch with your tangible cash and sitting down and learning to give your money a job, like it changes something. Check out Side Hustle Pro every week on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome back to Spawn Point, a video game podcast for tired people. I'm your host, Keza McDonald, and before we do anything else, I wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who listened to the first episode or left a review or emailed or tweeted to say they really enjoyed it. I got so many lovely messages that Twitter was briefly a nice place to be, which is rare for me. I'll be reading out some of those messages in a bit. Uh, please do keep them coming. I'd love to hear what you'd like from future episodes of this podcast. Um, and guests and so on. Our email address is hellospawnpoint at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Keza McDonald. Coming up, I've got an interview with a fellow gamer mum and developer who is currently designing a game with her daughter. Uh, she also somehow managed to make and release two games with her partner whilst also being full-time parents. But first, I have some recommendations for you. So, because I have the immense privilege of sometimes getting to play games at work, I can occasionally fit in a giant massive game like Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, which would never otherwise fit into my life at all. But most of my gaming this year has been done on the Switch in stolen moments or on train journeys or in the hour between my son going to bed and me becoming too exhausted to stay up. Pregnant people need a lot of sleep. I'm guessing a lot of you know this from experience. Uh, so I very much lean towards games that can be finished in five to ten hours, maybe a couple of evenings, and also games that offer a concise and meaningful experience rather than just a vast amount of content. I heard the same from a lot of parents, so I thought I'd share five recent favourites from this year so far. First up, Observation is the smartest game I've played in a long time. It's a horror-tinged space thriller, a bit like Moon or even Alien, although its most obvious aesthetic and thematic inspiration is definitely 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, it's set on a space station where something's gone horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, but the twist is that instead of playing the astronauts, you play the space station AI. So you play as HAL, basically. Uh, you view the action from behind these fuzzy security cameras that are dusted all over the place. Observation makes you think like a computer. The stuff that you're doing is opening doors and deciphering schematics, trying to bring life support systems online, observing, that kind of thing. Uh, but you also have the limitations of a computer in that you're stuck on your mainframe. You have no physical presence. And if your power goes, then you need human help. It's a really, really clever interdependency. I've never really seen anything quite like it in a game before, so I was very impressed. I got weirdly attached to the surviving astronaut as well. Uh, the fact that I couldn't actually control her made it more tense, if anything. 
Observation looks pretty amazing for a game made by a small team, which is a nice bonus. Uh, there were some annoying bits where I got totally lost trying to fly a robot sphere around a space station, but it's still one of my favourite things of 2019 so far. Katana Zero. Uh, unlike Observation, Katana Zero is not quite as clever as it thinks it is, but it's still really cool. It's a stylish action game where you get to slice up pixel baddies with a big sword. So, great stress relief. You play a samurai assassin who can rewind time, so every screen is full of enemies, and you have to approach it like a puzzle, like who do you take out first, what's the fastest route through, can you fling this bottle at this door to distract someone while you stab somebody else, and so on. And you just try each screen over and over again and so you can get through it without a scratch. It's got an instant restart, which is explained by this samurai's ability to rewind time. It reminded me a bit of Hotline Miami as well, if you remember that. And sometimes it's just as gruesome as well. There's a pretty unnecessary amount of gore in the game, even though it's pixely. And story-wise, it does quite a lot of stuff that's seemingly just for shock value, but that didn't ruin it for me. I blasted through it in one long evening, which is ideal. Hypnospace Outlaw. This is one for anyone who spent a lot of time on the early internet. It's partly kind of an alternate universe recreation of GeoCities and MySpace, and partly a detective game. You play as an internet enforcer, like a kind of power mod, clicking around all these weird websites and forums. You're looking for illegal activity or people being dicks to each other, that kind of thing. I love this game because it so perfectly evokes that sense of weirdness and adventure on the early web. It feels like you might find anything at any point, and there's got a little uh, Winamp-style player for the crap MIDI files that you find around the place on people's websites and that. At one point I found this secret login page and then spent hours trying to find out what it was. It reminded me of the dodgy anime piracy sites and music piracy sites that were around in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, this is a super weird game. It's very nostalgic. It's brilliantly written as well. Cadence of Hyrule. You've probably heard of this one. It's a mashup of the rhythm action indie dungeon crawler Crypt of the Necrodancer and Zelda, which is obviously the best game series of all time. Specifically, it's like SNES era Zelda, so Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, that kind of thing. It's top down, and you move around the screen on the beat, swinging your sword at monsters, hunting for hidden caves, using your bombs, all the stuff that you'd expect from a kind of real, proper Zelda game, which I wasn't expecting. I thought this would be like a slimmed-down, music-y spin-off, but actually it feels like a feels like a Nintendo-made Zelda game, but with just amazing music. It's got fantastic remixes of Zelda music, past and present, uh, and you can actually play as Zelda all the way through, which is a cool bonus. There's a bit of a learning curve on this one. I died all the time for the first hour, and then basically barely ever died after that. If you're a Zelda fan, then Cadence of Hyrule is a bit of a no-brainer, but even if you're not, stick with it. It's really, really cool. And lastly, Pikuniku. So imagine an adventure platformer with the aesthetic of Katamari Damacy, or like a Scandinavian kids TV show that you once saw in the middle of the night and which may or may not have been a dream. That's the deal with Pikuniku. It's a surreal comedy adventure game where you play a red blob with legs rolling about the place. It's gently funny rather than try hard funny. The dialogue's all weird and laconic and the puzzles are kind of like the puzzles in old school adventure games where the solution is often a punchline in itself. It's super varied too. There are physics-y platformery bits and odd micro games like dance-offs and foot basketball. The best compliment I can give Pikuniku is that I never really knew what was going to happen next. All right, that's five recommendations. If you have one of your own, send it in, and I will definitely share them in a future episode. I'll be chatting to this week's guest after the break, but first, here are just a few of the many messages I've gotten about the first episode of Spawn Point. It was amazing to hear from so many of you. Thanks so much. 
John wrote in to say, I just wanted to let you know that I love the podcast. This is what I've been looking for for the past six and a half years since I had my first child. Thank you. And maybe the whole gaming as a parent thing can become more than a podcast. I, for one, would enjoy reading more articles about it. Thank you, John. I have obviously managed to persuade Kotaku to let me write from a gamer parent perspective now and then every few weeks, but I totally agree there should be more. Commissioning editors, if you're listening, you know where to find me. Finian says, I listened to your first episode while resettling my four-month-old daughter at three in the morning, which I suspect will not be an isolated experience. That's going to be me in another few months. Hang on in there, man. It doesn't last forever. Uh, And Elizabeth said, as a gamer and mama to twin three-year-olds, I really feel this in my heart, feeling left out, lamenting not being able to deep dive into a game, not having the intellectual bandwidth to multitask or to play on any level harder than casual. This was an interesting and comforting listen. Thanks for that, Elizabeth. That's exactly what I was hoping to achieve with this podcast. So long may it continue. Once again, if you want to get in touch, you can email hellospawnpoint at gmail.com or find me on Twitter. My guest for this episode is Leanne Bailey. She is an artist, producer and game designer with two little kids. Leanne and her partner Alex made a game together while she was pregnant with their first baby, which is truly amazing. She's also now designing a game with her daughter. Leanne has loads to share about combining game dev with family life and trying to play together as a family as well. She wanted to let me know that she'd been to karaoke the night before this interview, so she was feeling a little bit hoarse and fragile when we met. Uh, one day soon I will put out an episode of this podcast without any sound quality caveats, but in the meantime, here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Leanne. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Would you mind introducing yourself for the listener? Hello, listener. My name is Leanne Bailey, and I am now a senior 2D and UI artist in the video games. <laughs> so, Leanne and I have been friends for some time, and uh, we've got as we've gotten to know, know each other, uh, we've known each other since before I had kids, and since shortly after you had kids. Yeah. And uh, over that time, she's, uh, as well as being an artist, she's also been a game designer producer. When your first child was little, you were making a game with your partner whilst like looking after her full time, right? Actually, we started making that first game when I was five months pregnant with Willow. Willow is baby number one. I quit my job, moved, relationship stuff. And then at the point where I was five months pregnant, Alex got let go of and we just... No! (laughs) It's fine. We're both jobless. I'm unemployable. And um, decided that the the best thing to do at this point, six years ago, make our own game. Let's just do that. So easy to get noticed for making a game now, isn't it? There's so few games made. So few, especially (laughs) on iOS, our chosen platform of release. And we had, so we're like, we'll do that because we know what we're doing. And we've got, what, four months? Four months. Because when baby arrives, you're not going to do any work. (laughs) So let's make a game in four months and release it. And that's our financial plan. (laughs) I mean, I've heard better financial plans for for the impending arrival of a baby but you get you you're you're in a position right where you just have to you have to make something work yeah i was gonna do it regardless because i i couldn't get a job no one was hiring a really pregnant lady even for short contracts that was fine it's just uh so we we were noodling with an idea before alex got let go of and we're like we wanted to make a puzzle game we were really into a dungeon raid at the time and like 10 million and we were like, oh, we like puzzle games. Let's just make a little puzzle game. That'll be fun. It's mechanic driven. We don't have to write lots of story. Mm. It's perfect for a touch device. You know, it's super easy to get a game out on 
iOS. You just pay Apple a hundred dollars, and you can release as many games as you like. Mm. That's it every year. So that's why. And you don't have to work with a publisher. You don't have to raise funds. All the stuff that you might have to do in order to make a indie game on console and PC with like a prospect of success, theoretically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can cut that out on iOS, right? Well, you don't need to have a, a dev kit. Your if you have an iPhone or an iPad, that's your dev kit. So and and with Android as well, if you have an Android device, that's your dev kit. So you don't have to go through the hi Nintendo. Yes, we have a lockable office. Please send us a thing, <laughs> um, or pay any money for one because no one has the money that it costs to get one. So yeah. So um, how did how did your plan go? Did you manage to? Re- well, I know you did obviously manage to release a game. How 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 did how did you how <laughs> just how did that happen? <laughs> I was like working really hard. Actually, game devving whilst you're pregnant is fine because you're mostly sitting down. And we had a teeny tiny fat in Brighton, and my desk was basically in the kitchen, which, you know, it sounds a bit, oh, no, that's rough. I am super pregnant. I want snacks every 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm in the kitchen. I could literally lean behind me, and that was the fridge. And also, the bathroom was like just a waddle. Like away, so for the setting was fine, and we just got it done because we were like we didn't have another plan, and we Glyph Quest when we made the first game we loved it, and we knew that we had a, a good game when we were spending. You'd like get the build on your device and be like, I'm just going to test this feature that we've just put in, and three hours later you're like oh, I'm still just playing the game. Like, it's not even finished at this point, but it was just fun to play. So so Glyph Quest was like a fantasy puzzle game, wasn't it? Uh, it's a puzzle battle game. Thanks, Japan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you're, it's like kind of like Puzzle Fighter or I'm trying to think what other games. It's like you match glyphs, they cast spells, you defeat monsters. Mm. That's the, uh, the format. So after your first child arrived how did you manage your work situation then it was fine at first we didn't do anything for a while the game came out and it was actually it was a a small enough success that we didn't have to do anything for a couple of months so we got to enjoy baby for the first like three months and then we realized we're gonna run out of money so we need to let's make a sequel Mm. let's not get a job let's (laughs) (laughs) let's make a follow-up game to our game so we did that and luckily I'm sorry, other parent. Willow was a sleeper and she liked to sleep for long chunks, like six hours from three months old. She would sleep. That was our dev time every day. So whenever she had gone down for the sleep, that's, you know how they say, you sleep when the baby sleeps. No. (laughs) You work when the baby sleeps. You work, you shower, you eat, you tidy. And that's what we did. That was our work. And when she was a little bit bigger, we were getting closer to the end of production and she wasn't as happy to just be like left to entertain herself. We had to interact with her all the time. That was a hard crunch. I didn't see Alex for like a month we lived in the same house mm. but we would like one of us would be sleeping one of us would be working or looking after the baby and then after four hours of that you would tag in hindsight if we had an option to not do that we wouldn't have done that we were unfortunate that all of our family were very far away so we didn't have grandma to just come in and and take the little one for a few yeah. hours a day or what have you and of course you were living in a part of the country here in the southeast of england where childcare costs like 60 pounds plus a day so that's not really an option either huh not when you're a tiny teeny tiny indie studio yeah. that's we've got some cash but it's not going to be enough to you it's weird it's like you have to work but you can't afford to put the baby in daycare and now we're in a situation where i'm working to pay for the daycare so i can work that's the situation I've been in since I had kids. I know so many people that's the same. It's like, I don't want to give up my career, so I will earn money in order to send my child away so that I can have this career. Yes, So, but we didn't 
we didn't have that so it was just yeah that was the hard work and even I mean Alex has been working in the industry for a million years mm. and he you know has never crunched as hard as that on a game he was sleeping under his desk at Bullfrog but this was harder because <laughs> you were actually balancing a life in uh, the process but we got through it and we released the second game and at the same time we got our first game translated and released in Asia as well Fantastic, so yeah. that was great so yeah so we like rode the indie train for a while so you've just been on a uh, panel at develop conference in brighton discussing what it's like to <laughs> i think what was the name of the panels of bearing children and indie games at the same time yeah bearing children and bearing indie games at the same time <laughs> so um how, how was the panel did you because you were there with uh, obviously several other indie developers who've been balancing indie development and family and then uh, presumably an audience full of people who were curious about the same right <laughs> well, it was it was like it was a round table session it was a lot of people who have been through that experience and wanted to share war stories and a lot of people who were thinking about having kids or thinking about taking that plunge but wanted to know can I still do this can I still be an indie developer and have kids so they were there to I, I don't know what advice they wanted from us but um <laughs> but it was nice what was really nice about it is there was too many people in the room for everybody to get their moment their introduction and, and talk about what they want so the biggest thing that it's raised is that this is a, a subject that gets talked about a lot. I've talked about it a, f a couple of times at Develop, but it doesn't really... It's like, you're not allowed to be a parent in the games industry. That's an extracurricular activity mm. to... If you were in the game industry, you play games. That's what you do. Other hobbies not allowed. So we don't talk about it as much as we should. And I think there's this... We're saying there's this gap. You've got these like young students to 20-so-year-olds really into games, really want to make games. They're like the, the starting blood of the industry. And then you have really veterans who've been working in the industry for as old as these little kids are at the beginning of their journey, like 20, 30 years. Yeah, all these dudes who made uh, games for the C64, yeah. etc., so the Spectrum exactly. programmers. And if they have kids, they're grown-ups now. And then there's this gap in the middle where we're losing parents because they don't feel like they can bring that to work yeah and you see a lot in game dev uh you know speak, speak to a lot of especially women they end up getting a job in a slightly less incredibly demanding and hour hungry sector of tech you know they become a programmer for something else and i think that's really sad that we're losing especially women we're losing talent yeah because there's this idea that you go back and you're not going to crunch like mm. if that order comes down you're like no i have to go home to my family and then you're you're the problem you're the weak link in the chain is no that's yeah. not okay so it was great to do and it was great to highlight that there is a want for more discussion around the subject because mm. people there are indie studios small studios five six people who haven't got a maternity structure in their contracts like they're waiting for the first person to have kids because then they'd be like oh hey we need to we need to do this so we need to talk about it more for for those studios so it's not like then it happens and it's a surprise oh now we have to deal with maternity and stuff it's like no we had this plan from the beginning we know that families are a thing that happen when people because you know people <laughs> yeah. and people make games so you need to accommodate their lives so no it's good and hopefully next year then we'll have more discussion yeah. around it. Well, I found this is part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is partly because I found that once I became a parent in even in media. Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait, there's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? 
Get closer to your audience, make podcast ads with ACAST. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started. Lots of parents in media, but there not, aren't that many in games. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it does, you know, it changed my working life massively, obviously, but it also changed the relationship I have with games in my spare time, just because it's such a kind of time-hungry hobby. Yeah, I think if, if I didn't work in games, I'd probably I'd probably still play exactly as much as I do, but I wouldn't feel so guilty about not playing more, do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and welcome to like Second Baby Club when you have even less time. <laughs> so I hear you're making a game with your daughter, who is now six, is that right? Yeah, nearly, she'll be six in January. So you guys started prototyping this a while back, right? Yeah, like um, a few months back. She really wanted to make a potion-making game, mm-hmm. but a cute potion-making game. No eyes of newts and, and <laughs> things like that. It was just all cute things to make potions that make rainbows and glitter and princesses. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure, let's... Because she's got to the point now where she's figured out that mommy and daddy make games so the games that she plays on her ipad it's like oh you do this someone made this someone made this and she played glyph quest a lot she she loads it up all the time and goes in and just plays she plays it wrong but she plays it (laughs) we were talking about so what should the ingredients be then for your potions and she was giving me lists of different like different fruits that should be in there different magical things that should be in there and we drew them all out on paper and we cut it all out and made like a paper prototype of a big cauldron and these flowers and fruits and dragon scales and things and then I just watched her play with it like a little play set to see what she was throwing into the cauldron and what magical thing it was making and it was great like she's she's the art director <laughs> and uh, she's the lead designer on it because basically she's just telling me what she wants and she wants how she wants things to look how cute they need to be she likes to copy my style of drawing where everything has big eyes and rosy cheeks so yeah it's been great so far I think a lot of people don't realise the vital nature of paper prototyping, especially when it comes to iOS-style touchscreeny games, because uh, I went to visit the Swedish developers of kids' games, Tokoboka. Uh, who I love them. with their work. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody love Tokoboka. Um, and uh, they paper prototype all their games, so like, they're, they're little kitchen games and their little train games, and uh, every, everything they do, they... they make a paper version of it where they basically laminate little bits of card, yeah. colour it in, and then they take it to the preschool that is across the road from them and just watch the kids play with it. Yeah, that's it. That's the best way to do it. And, like, especially for a kid's thing, because you're the, as the grown-up, you're going to design it in a way that you think a child would play with it. Mm. And then you give it to them and they just do something completely different that you're like, OK, I wasn't expecting that. Um, so it's very important, I think, to to give it to them because their logic their world is very different from your logic they don't yet have they haven't built up this like gaming lexicon right yeah like this is how a game works yeah Yeah, exactly they don't know any of that so they are making it up as they go along and that's fascinating and i think especially for this project it's more important because it's for her it's she wanted it not me i mean i like potion making but she wanted it (laughs) so it's she should lead it it should be her decision process and we'll just you know make it work behind the curtains you know and make all of the spreadsheets and the boring stuff that she doesn't care about like the name generation and all that kind of stuff but then she'll see all the magical sparkles and stuff and she'll be happy with that so yeah it must be awesome to have game dev parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to her rebellion when she gets into sports or... Uh... Yeah. 
I keep thinking about this, like <laughs> my, my own kids, you know, games, because there, there's an, to an extent we have this with my teen stepson in that he loves games. He plays games all the time, but he will only play ga- the kind of games that me and his dad would never touch. <laughs> you know, like Anything we think is interesting or cool is automatically untouchable now because he's a teen. It's hilarious. No, she's still very much in the, like, I I love this because it's cute and colourful and I can still recommend her Disney films and she's like, yeah, I want to watch that. That's great. So. I think it lasts until they're like a tween. I think you got up until they're somewhere between 10 and 12 and they will basically just totally worship everything you talk about and then after that, it definitely goes downhill. Do you manage to play together as a family? Mm, no. Yes? No. Sort of. Depends. Willow will watch a game being played quite often. And uh, so Pixel Junk Monsters 2, is it, on the PlayStation 4? She The Q Games one. The Q Games yeah. one, yeah. She will ask to play the Tiki Man dancing game. And she'll tell me what to do. And she'll get really worked up about the Tiki Man nearly getting like hit by the bugs and stuff. Because she likes bugs and, and that in the garden. So she's will watch like some of the games that she's interested in she doesn't want to sit down and play them if it's not a touch screen she's not into playing it right now she hasn't quite figured out the controller but pokemon is coming out <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be your way in man and she well she loves playing pokemon go on my phone and it's the only reason i think i've played it for as long as i have is because she is really into pokemon we've watched all of the cartoons she's got a like an encyclopedia of pokemon she loves pokemon and uh, she's got an eevee and she's got a pikachu we went to see detective pikachu she loves pokemon I'm so proud so <laughs> yeah when sword and shield comes out i think that's going to be a bit more of us playing together i would have you tried uh, pokemon let's go the remakes of red blue yellow that were that were out on the switch don't have a switch yet so my god what parent doesn't have a switch who plays games get one the, the kind of parents that were indie devs for so long <laughs> no well this is going to be my like passing my probation tree is going to be like buying a switch for yeah. clearly the family the cool thing yeah not for you no no definitely for the family the cool thing about pokemon let's go is that it incorporates pokemon go's catching so it's really simple like you have a little you can use a controller or a little pokeball and you just throw or swipe to catch the pokemon so you don't have any of the fighting for that but the battling obviously still exists but the the greatly simplified catching i think just makes it so much better to play with little kids yeah and i'm not getting the ball I know it has a wrist strap, but I'm not. She'll just chuck it at the TV. 100%. That's what's going to happen. So, no, I'm not doing that. But Pippin, who... So he's 20 months. He's just got really into Horizon Chase. So he will watch Alex sit down and play Horizon Chase, and he loves it. So the other day, before we came up for this conference, he's like, he's gone into the living room, and he's pointed at the TV, and it's not on, and he wants the TV on. So he's found the PlayStation controller, and he's bought it to me. And he's gone, da, da, da. And then he's toddled back over towards the TV, sat down on a cushion in front of the TV, and he's like, and pointing at the TV, going, da! Like, like, Alex, I think he wants Horizon Chase! <laughs> so he's just started to get into that, enjoying watching, like, the... I don't know if he knows it's a game yet, but that's what he wanted, so he's into that I think with kids that age it usually begins with watching what you're playing and they may or may not develop an interest in playing themselves I do know some people in games who's, you know, whose kids just aren't that aren't that interested it's like mum's thing or dad's thing yeah. uh, when Willow was about three I think we got Metamorphobet on the iPad she loved it like, and that was her getting into 
playing things on the iPad. And I think the iPad is just a really great first console for kids because it's so tactile. Yeah, literally, my son was could understand how to do things on touchscreen games from about 18 months, I think, yeah. maybe even slightly earlier. You know, because they know how to look at pictures of themselves. I was saw a baby, like a literal baby in a pram the other day, just scrolling through <laughs> little pictures of herself. I was like, wow. If ever you take in a picture of Pip, he will then immediately come around to have a look on the screen so he can scroll through all the pictures. And with Willow, she'd then, any screen, TV screen, if there was a button on it, she would try and press it. Like, mm. it, regardless of whether it was a touchscreen or not, that became her, like, vocabulary for that. So he's just getting into that now. But yeah, we have, yeah, we have a lot of Takabaka and Sego Mini. Sego Mini also hugely recommended, I must say. Like, the, the thing about these games, and this is so vital, isn't it, for, for littler kids, the toddler-sized ones, is that they're not goal-oriented. Like, we think, no. like, oh, you know, this game has to have something that you're supposed to do, and then it'll judge you on it. But these games for little kids, they don't, they just let them play like they would with a, you know, real toy kitchen or a real toy train set or whatever. Yeah, they're basically just virtual toys. Yeah, yeah we, I made the mistake once if we were on a train journey and my son was getting fractious and I was like alright so I downloaded one of the Hey Dougie apps good app don't get me wrong I, I downloaded it onto my phone and let him play with it and then obviously he figured out there can be games on mama's phone <laughs> whereas previously we'd managed to keep it you know contained to the the tablet at home so that if he wanted to play a game it had to be on the tablet and we had to be at home but then it took me months after that to be like oh no it's not working <laughs> what a shame we'll have to wait till we get home <laughs> mummy's iphone and his page of mummy's apps apart from pokemon go obviously that's shared and then there's Willow's apps page. So she knows that she can scroll across and we've got just a handful of like her favourites that she's got them on the iPad as well, her iPad. And then I've just got like a couple of them on my phone. So when, if we are out and she doesn't have, we don't have it with us and she'll be like, can I play the robot game? Yeah, okay. So how about you? Do you find time to play much at the moment? No. <laughs> no, I don't. But when uh, I recently just completed Nino Kuni 2, mm-hmm. which was on my like wish list of, of games that I need to get through and play. And then I've been playing Stardew Valley for about, I don't know, four years. <laughs> that is your forever game, isn't it? It's my, this is my Desert Island game. <laughs> I have eight, last time I checked, I think I had over 800 hours on it. I bloody love that game. <laughs> I played it for the first time in, in the depths of sleep deprivation and then realised that, and it came out on Switch a few months later and I'd been playing on PS4. And so I bought it on Switch, thought, oh, well, I'll just download it again. I'll just download it again. I probably won't play it, but I'll download it again. And realised that because I'd not been sleeping, I didn't remember a damn thing <laughs> about the game. So I experienced the second time as if it were new. That's great, though. Like, <laughs> I wish I could erase other games from my mind like that. <laughs> I would do that all the time. I, I would, you'd think with 800 hours on Stardew Valley I would have a farm that was 10 years old now but what I, I like to just play year one over and over again <laughs> As that's my I just like to do build it up every single time I got into a, someone tweeted a challenge they challenged themselves to try and do the community centre in one year and that's I was, hard man Yeah, you, it needs a degree of luck because you have to get a red cabbage there's also a rabbit's foot item that like you yeah and you have to grow all the fruit trees I'm just like doing this in my brain already it's really hard so you like me um, are a big were I get no are damn it no we're still who we were damn it I'm a big Dark Souls fan and one of the things that obviously parenthood does make difficult is playing games like that like games that require intense concentration um, and more than about 45 minutes at a block and that you can't pause yes so I did buy Alex Sekiro for his birthday, I think. That's the latest From Software game, the samurai one. <laughs> yes, plug, plug. And he, I, he, he's stuck in three places now. 
so that's it yeah. like and we haven't we just don't have time to sit down and, and do things but he Sekiro is even worse than Souls though like in Souls if you're stuck you can kind of potter about and level up and blah 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 in Sekiro it's like no 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 you just got to keep doing you can't go away and do anything else you just got to climb that freaking Everest <laughs> and like but the, I find that the problem I had with Sekiro so I was I was reviewing it so I had about two weeks for work where I was playing it all day kind of three days a week and then after about two weeks I was like I really need to do something else or do other work but I now can't I can't progress in it because you need about two hours just to do anything like <laughs> to make any progress you need two straight hours and I just I can't you know I can't chip away at it like I could at Red Dead yeah this is why I haven't uh, I haven't picked up The Witcher th- I really want The Witcher 3 and this I'm toying with like do I wait for my Switch or do I just get it on PlayStation 4 definitely get it on Switch you, you'll actually play it on Switch there'll be time this is the thing it's like but I need that time to chip away at it so it's that's a chipping game you can definitely chip at the witcher like rpgs generally you can just do a quest here and there but this has become the criteria that that you know i now have to judge for non-work games i now have to judge like either is this one huge game that i can concentrate on for literally three months and chip away at is it that good that it's worth that amount of my time or is it 10 hours or less yeah we i and similar with the non-pausing we used to play a lot of heroes of the storm together but it's got to the point now where it's inevitable that the minute we get into a match the baby will start crying and we have to sorry a FK and there will be like a usually a group of three so there's two randos in there going where the hell is the healer it's like well just had to pop yeah. away so so now we try I don't play at the same time as him for that even it's sad it is sad. It is sad. It does Apparently, it comes back. I just I spoke to um, for the first episode of this podcast. I spoke to uh, Nolan North and Troy Baker, the voice actors, the performers. The Nolan North kids are in their late teens, and I was like, oh, just looking at him, like, oh, look, he's got all the time in the world that he wants. But he says he missed like a whole like era of games when his when his kids were little. He just kind of missed them. But you can go back to them later. Yeah, that's and uh, that's so, what I'm looking forward to. Not live games though, eh? That's the point. Actually, Destiny Two probably ain't going to be there in ten years. Maybe it will. Who knows? Bungie might I, <laughs> Bungie I, might rock it. Like falling completely off the curve for heroes. So and then they've just put in Andrew in, and I'm like, my boy king, <laughs> my boy king is here, and I can't. I don't have time to play it. So you and your partner Alex actually featured in my Dark Souls book that I did a few years ago because you kept your long distance relationship going playing Dark Souls together yes we, we didn't call each other we'd be like <laughs> i want xbox you want xbox yes <laughs> and we played dark souls together uh me and my partner did did the same actually we didn't play dark souls together but we play other stuff together to kind of when i was living far away we'd we used to we used to play you know even there was one guitar hero that had online play i think it might have been world tour when i was in japan but we'd play that and all sorts of things or like sometimes we'd resort to just putting a game on and having skype on at the same time so we'd be companionable but you know that's the kind of thing like if we want to play a game now me and my partner together it either has to be a pad passer or we have to literally sit sadly side by side with two like a monitor and the TV. We I tell you, we play a lot more board games now. So and I because that you can just like leave and it can stay on the kitchen table for two hours whilst you have to deal with child and well until the twenty month old just knocks all the pieces off of course yeah that happens but <laughs> so we yeah we've found that we've ended up we've gone we're getting into this board game renaissance and we're playing a lot more board games which is not as cheap as video games it's actually more expensive <laughs> like we got gloomhaven that's a hundred pounds for a game so we found ourselves getting more and more into to board games which is great i dabbled a tiny bit pre-children in pen and paper tabletop 
D&D style stuff. And uh, again, the problem with that is that you need to get several people who can get together in the same place several times a week. As, <laughs> as soon as my kids arrived, it was like, oh, no, that that's not, no. It's never going to happen. I can't do like a weekly tabletop sesh anymore. And it was a shame because I was really starting to enjoy it. This is why we no longer have Risk Legacy. They don't have the reliable network anymore of people who can come around and play games but you should try like one of our favorites and it's our favorite because we are equally matched at it so every time we play it we don't know who's going to win it's the castles of burgundy Mm -hmm. that's a great little game i can highly recommend that we played i want to say mysterium yes together uh probably about two years ago now it feels feels like quite recently but it probably wasn't which i found really cool that's a game where one basically it's a haunted it's a haunted house and uh, one person gets to be the ghost and uh, uses picture beautiful a really ab- kind of abstract picture cards to sort of try and communicate what what happened to them, how they died, right? It's like Cluedo and Dixit yeah. had a baby and it's Mysterium. Now, I, I, every time I get friends who are like, oh, I don't really like board games, like, we're playing Mysterium. Everyone sit down, let's have a seance. So your partner's just finished working on an exciting video game slash board game mashup, right? Well, yeah, I mean, he got like this dream contract gig at the moment working for the wonderful guys Flaming Fowl in Guildford because they're doing uh, video game conversions of board games so they've just uh, wrapped up on Gloomhaven which is going into early access on Steam very shortly and like for if you're a fan of pen, pen and paper tabletop stuff there's, that's Gloomhaven but it takes a lot of obviously the then having to roll the dice and figure out all the numbers and build the dungeons and everything out and you just get to enjoy it and it's very tactical like it's not an easy game but it is like quite epic so this is why we have Gloomhaven now in (laughs) fact so we can learn how to play it for adapting it for for the computer so if you're a fan in any way it's it's a lovely conversion so it's worth checking out and uh, your iOS game Glyph Quest and its sequel Glyph Quest Chronicles if anyone's curious about those they are still on the app store aren't they I just got an email about the 64-bit version of one of them it's like oh that's probably not going to (laughs) happen Chronicles is still available, but uh, pre-warning, there some people have experienced a game-killing bug, which we can't fix. But by all means, check it out. It's free to play, so you can just download it and have a look. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, well, you know, thanks for trying. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast, Leanne. I think a lot of people are like super curious about how how devs make it work with with family. So it's it's re- and also really great to hear from another another gamer mum as well, because I find that oddly enough, <laughs> the gamer parent world is kind of dominated by dads. <laughs> yes. It, well, you know, maybe next time we'll get like Dream Mommy. That will be the next uh, <laughs> dating game for us. That's it for the second episode of Spawn Point. Thank you very much to Leanne for making time to chat. And as ever, thank you very much for listening. Send your feedback and questions to hellospawnpoints at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Keza McDonald. And if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe or you can leave a review on your favourite podcast app. There'll be more Spawn Point very soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Do you love to read or listen to books? Is your nightstand overflowing with books you just don't have time to read? Listen to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivi. I'm an author, publisher, podcaster, bookstore owner. My own novel, Blank, is out March 1st. And if you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Zibbyverse, or rather the LA Times calls it the Zibbyverse. Check us out. Moms don't have time to read books with Zibby. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.